Well, hey there, and welcome to our Sermon Audio Podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. In fact, why don't we go ahead and hold them up? We'll just get right to this thing. Repeat after me, this is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching. Correcting. Rebuking and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Amen. How many of you, how many of you realize, and I'm sure every mother here does, but how many of you realize that there is much more to mothering than simply giving birth? <laughs> giving birth is probably one of the easier parts of mothering. Amen? I don't, I don't care how long it took you to push that baby out. I don't care how long you were in labor. I'm sure that if you look back over the years, you would say that moment was one of the easier parts of the entire mothering process. Amen? And I'm finding out, and I'm not a mother, of course. I'm married to a mother, and I have a mother. Um, I'm finding out that once your kids turn 18, although they, they're legally adults, you don't get to stop parenting. You don't get to stop being a mother. Moms are moms forever. At this point, maybe I should say, I'm sorry and thank you. Sorry for everything I ever did to a mom or for a mom or against a mom or whatever. And thank you for the love of moms. If it's true, though, that, that a woman can give birth, or rather, if it's true that, that giving birth is maybe the simplest part, uh, I think it's true also that it's possible for a woman to give birth and yet not be motherly. It's possible for a woman to give birth and not be motherly. In fact, I'd submit that it's also possible for a woman to be a mother to one that she did not give birth to. Among those would be stepmothers, adoptive mothers, and hang on to your hats for this one, mothers-in-law. Now, typically a mother-in-law had a child at one point and then gave them away or acquired another child that married their son or daughter and they became a mother-in-law. And mother-in-laws get a lot of, you know, they get a lot of flack, a lot of times, it's not necessarily fair. We're going to talk about this morning, we're going to talk not just about mothers, a standard biologic mother, and, and honor the biological mothers. We're going to talk about the other mothers that don't get so much airplay and see what the Bible has to say about it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have blessed us with mothers. We thank you for the nurture, for the caring, for the compassion that they bring into our lives. Lord, I pray this morning that every mother that's here would be blessed. And Lord, not just biological mothers, but stepmothers, adopted mothers, and mothers-in-law. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, your heart would be revealed. And Lord, that this morning lives would be touched and transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 2. It's the first place I want to start. Exodus chapter 2, the importance and contributions of mothers in Scripture and on society cannot be overstated. 
And so as we're looking at a couple of different kinds of mothers, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 2. Hang on as we read the first 10 verses. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Interesting story. Difficult story. came at a very difficult time in the history of Egypt. If you were to go back and read chapter 1, you would find out that the Israelites had been in Egypt for a number of years, nearly 400 years at this point. And they had, they had gone from being favored by the Egyptians to being feared by the Egyptians. And, and uh, there had been a couple of kings in between the time that Joseph stood up and became the number two man and rescued Egypt and the, and the outlying world uh, through the wisdom that God gave him. After he had died and the generation after him had died, the king had died and, and a new king rose up that knew nothing about the history, knew nothing about Joseph or, or the way that he had blessed the nation. I think he knew not because he asked not and he cared not, but that's a different story for a different time. The bottom line was he was afraid of the Hebrews. He was afraid of the Jews and said, you know what? They're, they're reproducing so fast. They're going to overtake us. So this is what we're going to do. You got to kill all the male Hebrew babies. Baby comes out, it's a boy, you got to kill it. If it's a girl, you can keep it. But if it's a boy, you got to throw it in the Nile, you got to kill it, you got to do whatever. Now, this is extremely late stage abortion. This is horrible. And so there was, there was weeping and crying all over the place. And, and uh, you know, if you break the law, you can get yourself in trouble. Well, Moses' parents, they already had two children, Miriam and Aaron. Those kids had been born before this edict went out by the king. But after the edict went out, she got pregnant again, and they had Moses. And the Bible says that they looked at him and saw that he was no ordinary child. You know what? I don't think there are any ordinary children. I was present at the birth of both of my kids, and there was nothing ordinary. I mean, it was so incredible. And I've had the, the privilege to go and, and uh, visit babies in the hospital when they're first born. There are no ordinary children. They're, they're spectacular. They're awesome. They're incredible. You got to love a baby, right? It's when they get a little bit older, they start being annoying. But when you got to love a baby, there's nothing normal about them. They're spectacular. But Moses' parents saw him. They're like, there's something special about this kid. There is no way we're killing my baby over my dead body. And so they hid him for three months. And when they couldn't hide him any longer, put him in a basket and floated him down the river. 
But I don't want to look first at Moses' mother. I want to look first at the princess. Because you see, there's two, there's two moms that are involved in this story. The first is the princess, and she represents for us today the stepmom or the adoptive mom. And consider her story as she's going out that day. She woke up that morning. She didn't have any kids. She didn't plan on having any kids. The Bible doesn't say anything about her being married or, or anything. Her whole motive that morning was to take a bath. I think I'll go take a bath and become a mother. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I hate to take a bath and nine months later I'm way out to here. That'd be horrible. She didn't have any plans on being a mother. The Bible doesn't say that she was married, that she was being courted by anybody. She was the princess. She was the pride and joy of Pharaoh. Had no intention on having kids that day or any day soon. But think about this. When she went down and she got into the, into the river to take her bath, she noticed a basket that had been placed there by another mother. She didn't know the other mother. She noticed a basket that was floating there. She said, oh, that's kind of odd. Why is there a basket in my bathtub? So she sent her slave girl over, and the slave girl opened it up, and there's a crying baby in there. And her heart was filled with compassion. She had no physical, genetic connection to this baby. But she had a mother's heart. And she saw that baby, and she heard that baby crying, and she loved that baby. And she even recognized this is a Hebrew baby. This isn't an Egyptian baby. This baby looks different. This baby sounds different. This baby is not a newborn. There's something going on here. There's something special. And she made a split-second decision. This is my baby. I found him. I'm going to keep them. Yeah, I want you to think about what, what she did in that moment. She went against everything normal. She went against everything legal. She went against everything ethnic. She cut across lines like you wouldn't believe. I mean, consider, she crossed cultural boundaries. She was an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. The Hebrews worshiped the one true God. They were very staunch about that, that Jehovah is the only God. The Egyptians, they worshiped several gods. But she had cut across those cultural boundaries and said, you know what, I don't see eye to eye with your people on anything, but you're a baby and I don't care what color you are, I don't care what creed you are, I don't care what your background is, I love you. She cut across legal lines because the law was you kill the Hebrew boys. It wasn't just a suggestion and it wasn't simply it's okay to kill Hebrew boys. It wasn't like, it wasn't like well, the abortion laws that we have today that says, well, up until however many weeks, if you want to kill your baby, you can kill your baby. It's okay. It wasn't a suggestion or simply an okay. It was a command. You see a Hebrew baby boy, you kill that baby boy. But she decided to break the law. I'm not going to kill this boy. 
even though this baby had been floated down the river. I'm not going to kill this boy. I'm not going to put the baby back in the basket and let it float down the river. There's crocodiles in the river. That's why she had attendants all around her. There's water moccasins in the river. I'm not going to put this baby back in the river. She cut across legal lines. And then maybe the biggest line that she cut across, she cut across family lines. Because it was her own father. Think about it. Let this sink in for a second. It was her own father that established the law. That said, you kill the Hebrew baby boys. She said, I don't, I don't care what you think, Dad. Now, I'm not suggesting to any of you young ladies or even not so young ladies, I'm not suggesting that you ever talk to your father like that. That you ever say, I don't care what you think, Dad. But I will say this. When it comes, between choosing, when it comes to choosing between God's law and man's law, stick with God every time. And she cut across all those boundaries. She cut across all those lines and said, I am going to be a mother. I'm going to be a mama. At that same same moment, Moses' older sister and the the princess had no idea. She had no way of knowing this. At the same time, Miriam comes out and says, hey, uh, I see you've got a baby there. Congratulations. I'll be playing the part of the stork today. Would you like me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse him? I think there was some cultural, so, you know, obviously the princess wasn't ready to nurse. So I can go find a Hebrew woman to nurse him. Never mention the fact that, hey, we're siblings and I know his mama and I'm going to go get his mom. I'm going to tell mom. Think about how God coordinates the intersections of our lives. The princess says, yes, do that, and I'll pay So Miriam runs off, gets her mother, the mother of Moses, and brings her back. And the princess tells tells the birth mom, tells the biologic mom, hey, I've got myself a baby. I've got a new baby. I can't nurse it. I'm an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew. You're a Hebrew. But I'll tell you what, you take this baby that she doesn't realize is her own baby. You take this baby and you nurse this baby, and I'm going to pay you to nurse this baby. I wish somebody would have come along and told Deb, hey, I'll pay you to nurse your kids. That would have been awesome. Didn't happen. But it happened for Moses' mother. And she had, she, you got to understand I mean, how human she was. Moms, you know how tough it is to even let somebody else watch your baby, especially an infant. You know, when, our, when our son was born, our firstborn was uh, about three weeks before Deb's 21st birthday. And my folks lived... Uh, 20 minutes, a half hour away from us. And, and uh, you know, of course, they came to the hospital. They're all excited to be first-time grandparents, and, and everybody's having a good time. Well, we find, you know, we get home after all the busyness. We get home, and we're doing the parent thing for a couple of weeks. And uh, her birthday's coming up. I thought, you know what? She's going to be 21. I got I to gotta do something special for her 21st birthday. I got to surprise her and put a party together. So I said, hey, I talked to my parents about putting a party together, but I hadn't talked to Deb. I said, hey, uh, for your birthday, we're going to leave Lincoln with mom and dad, and we're going to go get dinner. She's like, oh, excuse me? I said, we'll just we'll leave Lincoln with mom and dad. We'll go get dinner. Oh, uh-uh, we're not leaving my baby with anybody. I said, honey, it's not just anybody. It's my mom and dad. They raised a couple of kids, didn't kill them. I'm sure they're going to be fine. 
It's only going to be a half hour, an hour. No, no, no. And, and I've got this party planned. And her mothering instincts are so, ah, this is my baby. This is my baby too, and it's my parents. Come on. So finally, we, we came to an agreement. We went to a place like five minutes away, took my parents' cell phone, because we didn't have one at the time. We ate a really quick dinner, and then we rushed back. I mean, we were probably gone for 45 minutes, and she was nervous the entire time. Of course, when we get there, there's all these, all these cards there, and we cars there, and a bunch of people walk into the house, and everybody yells, surprise. And here's, here's the, I mean, this is actually on her 21st birthday, and here's where her mind was. She turns to me, and she starts to cry, and she says, they're throwing a surprise baby shower for me. <laughs> like, no, honey, this is your birthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> but moms, you know what it's like to, to let your baby go for the very first time. She had hidden her baby for three months. She had cared for him. She had prayed over him. She set him free in a basket. Imagine that. She coated a basket with pitch, laid her three-month-old child in it, and set it in a crocodile-infested river. You know, we can look at this a couple of different ways. We can say, that's a, that's a horrible thing. You send your baby down a river with crocodiles and water mocks and all sorts of nasty. What a horrible, horrible mother. Or you can look at it and say, you know what? Here's a mother that's actually going to trust her baby to God. You see, that's something that every mother and every father needs to learn. Do what you can. Do your absolute best. But learn to trust your children to God. He gave them to you in the first place. He can take care of them better than you can. And guess what? Mom, it's going to be hard for you to get this. It's going to be hard for you to understand this. But God loves your baby more than you do. Awful quiet. That's a hard one to swallow, but God loves that baby even more than you love that baby. And he is more concerned about that baby's welfare, and he's more concerned about that baby's health and that baby's growth and, and abilities than you are. And think about this. He's actually just trusting you with that baby to be a steward, to raise up that baby, to know him, to love him, to serve him. She had to make a choice. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? And faced with that choice, she trusted God enough to put Moses in that, in that basket, actually an unnamed baby at that time, in that basket and sent him down the river. Hard, hard thing. But, you know, you consider this. If, she would have, if her and her husband would have been caught having a baby and not having thrown it out, not having killed it, it could have cost them their other two children and their own lives. Hard stuff to think about. And I hope none of us are ever in a position to, to have to make choices like that. And yet when she did, she stood up and she trusted the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, says this, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were more afraid of displeasing God than they were of displeasing the king. And she loved him enough to literally release him to God's care. 
And then she was blessed, as we've already discussed, she was blessed to not only get word that he was okay, but to get paid to nurse him. You need to know this. God's got your back. God's got your back. Can you or will you trust him with your children? Moses' mother did something else that needs to happen a lot more in our culture. She loved her son enough to release him to the care, not only to God, but to release him to the care of his stepmother or his adopted mother. How do you think that made her feel to know that her son was being adopted by an Egyptian? How do you think it made her feel to know that her son was being adopted into the family that was killing her family? Probably a pretty hard thing. You know, I I talk to a lot of people, they go through divorce and remarriage or whatever for whatever reason, and there is so much discord between parents and step-parents. So many reasons that the parents are talking down the step-parents or the step-parents are talking down the parents and then they complain to the kids about the things that the step-parents do and, and back and forth and on and on. And you know, let me tell you, that doesn't do anybody any good. That doesn't do the children any good. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do your, your ex-spouse any good. It doesn't do that other person any good. And if any of us have a reason to complain about the people that are taking care of our kids, I think Moses' birth mother, her bi- his biological mother, had reason to complain. Lord, I trusted my baby with you. I sent him down the river, and you sent him into the king's house? Are you kidding me? He's going to be raised as a pagan Egyptian? But that's not what came out of her mouth. And I don't believe that that was even what was in her heart. I believe she loved her baby so much and trusted God so much that she willingly relinquished him to the care of that stepmom, that adopted mom. Because that mom first stepped up and said, hey, I want to care for him. I want to take care of him. Kind of leaves some things for us to be able to chew on and think about. I mean, let's, let's remember, neither one of these women planned this for their lives. Nobody gets married and has children with the plan of letting somebody else raise them. But sometimes life happens. So let me just say this morning, if you are a step or adopted mother, understand the great role that you play in that child's life. Don't underestimate God's ability to use you to use your resources, and most importantly, your heart to raise up this child. Not to strip them of their identity, not to replace their biologic mother, but to prepare them to fulfill God's plan. You see, though Moses, though, though the princess actually named Moses and raised him in the palace, and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that he was, he was raised in all, he was trained in all of the knowledge and all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was raised up with all that privilege and all that knowledge and all that understanding, and he was powerful in word and speech. She never once hid his heritage from him. She didn't cut him off and say, you are no longer a Hebrew, you're an Egyptian. She grew up, she let him grow up understanding who he was and where he came from. I found you in a river because your grandpa made a, lo- made a rule that we had to kill all the Egyptian boys, but 
your birth parents who are Hebrews, trusted your God enough to send you down the river and I found you. So you're getting the best of both worlds, if you will. She didn't try to strip him of that. I think she built that up and encouraged him. Now, if you're on the other side and your child's being raised by a step or adoptive mom, first, don't be a slave to anger or to bitterness or hatred. Fight the urge to be critical. Fight the urge to be jealous and demeaning. But pray for them. I don't mean just your children. I'm, I'm assuming that you are praying for your children, but pray for that adoptive or that stepmother. Build bridges rather than walls. Remember this, it's not your child's fault that they're in the situation that they're in. So don't make it hard on them by your attitude. Thank God for your child and trust God with that child. So that's the first two types of Moms, I want to talk about the biologic that doesn't get to raise her son and the adoptive or stepmom. The third type of mother is found in the book of Ruth. And it's the mother-in-law. Say mother-in-law and you get different kinds of responses. Mother-in-laws play a very crucial role in the lives of their children or their sons and daughters-in-law. Ruth is such a small book. I'm having, there we go, right there. You need to understand that the impact of the mother-in-law is deep. And we see this in the book of Ruth. When we look at Naomi, now the book is named after Ruth, the daughter-in-law. But Naomi really is a, a big hero or heroine in this book. So let's consider what she did and how she got to where she was. It says that at the, at the time that they were alive, there was no bread in Bethlehem. There was no food in Bethlehem. There was a great famine going on. It's kind of sad because Bethlehem means house of bread. So ironic, there's no bread in the house of bread. So she and her husband and their sons pack up and leave. They say, we're not going to stay here in Israel. Uh, we're going to go to Moab. Interesting place to go. Moab was a hostile environment. It was a place that they hated one another. The Moabites had come out uh, for war against Israel when Israel was just trying to pass through peacefully. The Moabites came out for war. Big conflict, lifelong conflict. In fact, there's a point where God said, hey, no Moabite will ever be allowed in the assembly of God. So we don't have any Moabites in here, do we? It's just an assembly of God church. So... Uh, no Moabite, because they, nationally they had just been so horrible. But this is where Naomi and her husband went to. They moved to Moab. She moved to a, a foreign land. She lost her husband. She lost both of her sons. Both sons married Moabite women. This was great. And then subsequently they died. And this is all in a 10-year span. They moved. She loses her husband, loses both of her sons in a 10-year span. And all she's left with in the world are a couple of daughters-in-law. Moabite daughters-in-law. That's all she's got. And here's a difficult thing with sons and daughters-in-law. You don't get to choose your in-laws. Your kids do. 
I didn't get to choose my son-in-law. I didn't get to choose my daughter-in-law. Now I got to put a little pressure on my son-in-law. He will be forever indebted to me. But here's a here's the truth. Mom and dad, you don't get to choose your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law. Your kids do that for you. And you just, you got to deal with it. Good, bad, or indifferent, you got to deal with it. Now, Deb, my wife, lost her biological mom when she was five years old. She had two different adoptive moms. She was adopted out of Columbia into one family, and after... I don't know, six or eight years, that family decided that they didn't want them, didn't want Deb, didn't want her sisters, and got rid of them. She got another adoptive mom, the family that I met her in. But the woman that has had the greatest positive motherly influence on Deb has been her mother-in-law, my mom. In fact, I'm convinced My mom likes Deb better than me. (laughs) In fact, I think my brother would say the same thing about his wife, Kim. My parents like, they like the girls better than they like us, and whatever. You know, here's the reality. Yeah, I didn't ask my parents' permission. I didn't even ask my parents' opinion about Deb before I proposed to her. They had only met her one time, and that was just briefly... She grew up on the East Coast. My parents lived on the West Coast. I only met her because I was in the service. As a young man, I didn't realize the kind of impact that that might have. As a parent, I realized it a little bit more. I didn't ask their permission or their opinion. I just found this girl and boom, my parents had a daughter-in-law. They had a daughter that they didn't give birth to, a daughter they didn't raise, and a daughter they didn't know anything about other than the fact that their son loved her and still does. We don't know anything about the family dynamics between Naomi and her sons or or her son's wives, but what we do know is this. She treated her daughters-in-law good, if for no other reason, because her sons loved them. So mom, think about this. Grab hold of this. One of these days... Your son or your daughter is going to get married. You're going to have an in-law of which you're going to be the mother-in-law. If nothing else, love that son-in-law, love that daughter-in-law, if for no other reason but because your child loves them. If you can do that and look past all the, man, you know what? Let's face it. Nobody's ever going to be good enough for your baby. I know that. Nobody's ever going to be good enough for my son. Nobody's ever going to be good enough for my daughter. I'll say this one time, so you better be listening. (laughs) I love my son-in-law, and I love my daughter-in-law, if for no other reason than that my daughter and my son love them. And that's not the only reason I love them, but if that was the only reason, that would be enough. Because I raised... My son, I raised my daughter, and I poured into them, and I taught them. And their love for their spouse is going to be a reflection of my love for their mother. 
That's a hard relationship, but moms, grab hold of that. Love that in-law. Love them for no other reason than the fact that your son or your daughter loves them. And if you've been having strife, if you've been having troubles, if you just start doing it, stop all the nitpicking and, and stop all the complaining and, and pouring into your son or your daughter's life about how dumb their spouse is or how goofy their spouse is or what a pain in the backside their spouses. Stop complaining to your husband about your, about your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law and just start loving them and say, you know what? I love you because my kid loves you. And start there with the positives. You know, you, in, in life, we have a choice. We can either sit there and, and mourn about what we don't have or we can celebrate what we do have. And you're going to be a lot more happy if you celebrate what you do have and forget about what you don't have. Say, I love you just because my kid loves you. And start from there. And I believe that that's the way that Naomi was. Because you know what? Her sons married Moabite women. Moabites were pagans. Moabites were, were morally corrupt. They were nasty people. But her sons fell in love and got married. And she said, because you do, I will. Her commitment, you need to understand this, that her commitment to Ruth... Her commitment to her daughter-in-law lasted longer than the marriage lasted. We don't know how long they were married. We just know that Naomi and her family were there for 10 years, and in 10 years span, they got married and he died. It could have been six months, could have been a year, could have been five, eight years. But Naomi's commitment to Ruth went far beyond the time frame of that marriage. Rather than feeling relieved of her relationship and her responsibilities to Ruth, and there was no grandchildren to bind them together. So get this. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you've got my grandbabies. I'm going to be nice to you so I can see my grandbabies. There was nothing to bind them together except for a dead man that one had given birth to and the other had married. She treated her as if she were her own flesh and blood. She continued to love her as her own. She guided Ruth. If you read the story, it's a very short book, four chapters. Ruth went with her and went back to the land of Israel, back to Bethlehem when God came to their aid and, and provided food. They went back. And Ruth was a great daughter-in-law, and Ruth worked hard. And, and so Naomi poured into her and taught her about the redemptive laws of Israel. Naomi said, you've been such a great daughter to me, I got to do something for you. And she encouraged her in the laws of redemption and found out that the man that owned the field that she had been working in was one of their kinsmen redeemers. Interesting how God runs our paths together, isn't it? She encouraged Ruth to one night go down to the to the threshing floor when everybody had left or had eaten and, and was going to bed and Kind of a strange cultural thing that they had. She said, you wait and watch where Boaz lays down. And then after he's asleep, go and pull up the covers and lay at his feet. Because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Because Boaz can marry you. Because all of the property that your husband had and all the property that my husband had will then go to him. You see what she was doing? She was... She was literally instructing Ruth on how to legally go about the process to get everything that now belonged to Naomi. 
She wasn't holding on to it and saying, I got to have something for myself for the rest of my life. You're just, you're just my dead son's wife. Take care of yourself. She said, look, I want you to do something so that you can get everything that I ever had. Because if, if my son hadn't died, he'd get it. But you've been so good to me. And I love you because he loved you. So do this. She went, she ended up marrying Boaz. Boaz was second in, in the kinsman redeemer line, but he, he ended up marrying her. Kind of a neat story. She ended up getting pregnant and having a baby. That baby ended up having a son by the name of David who became king of Israel. A man after God's own heart. You know who Boaz is, when you start talking to lineage, Boaz's mother and father were? His father's name was Salmon, but his mother's name was Rahab. She'd been a prostitute in Jericho, the first city in the Gentile land, the promised land that God told the Israelites to destroy because they are so wicked. Their paths crossed. Boaz came. His path crossed with Ruth, who was loved by her mother-in-law. And she became the great, great, great grandmama of Jesus, the Messiah. What would Naomi have missed out on if she was just selfish and said, you know what, my son's dead. You're a pagan. Go away. What would she have missed out on if she would have just lived a selfish life, said it's all about me, you take care of yourself? And I wonder what we might be missing out on when we don't treat our sons-in-law and daughters-in-law as if they were our own flesh and blood and love them and pray for them and build them up and encourage them, smack them around when you need to. Do it with love. It's a great responsibility. So to all the mothers-in-law, I say this, your son or daughter-in-law may be a pain in the backside to you. They may be nothing you ever dreamt of for your child. As I said, Ruth was from an idol-worshiping, pagan, morally repugnant background. But consider this, God has entrusted them to your care. Are you praying for them? Are you loving them? Are you guiding them? God's plan for them just might be dependent on the reflection of on your reflection of his love to them. Big shoes to fill. But that's why God trusted you to be a mom. And that's why we celebrate moms today. Thank you for checking out our podcast today. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.